An interview with series continues. Today I'm joined by Jessica Silva, the manager and coach and trainer of FC Mets Feminine. How are you, Jessica? I'm doing great, thank you. Feels good to be speaking English right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do know some French. I know bonjour. Bonjour, comment ça va? Uh, uh, ça va bien. Très bien, merci. <laughs> uh, that's, look, look you, you took it too far. Took it. I need lessons. I need, I'm my sorry. Listen, my daughter would be very proud. She, she speaks French. She, well, she's really? learning to speak. Yeah, yeah, she's a, a linguist. But we're not here to talk about we're not here to talk about her. We're here to talk about you. Um, manager of FC Mets. Um, I want to actually talk about your journey into football and where it began. But before we go kind of back in time, um, you started in your role in your current club back in December 2019, correct? Yep. Um, yeah, well, obviously, we've all been experiencing the kind of coronavirus lockdown. How has it been for you going to a new club and then having to have so much time away from the day-to-day work yeah. in terms of track coaching it's uh i'm not gonna lie it's tough and it's even harder for an international coach when you've moved across the we say across the pond in canada so you moved across the pond uh to, to follow your dreams and and uh work in football and uh you find yourself uh, three months confined at home alone and uh it's challenging i was quite busy anyways because a coach can never stay like sitting and doing nothing like that. I, I was very, very active uh, with my players or, or even with recruitment. So I stayed very active, but I'm not going to lie, being away from the field, it, uh, it was definitely tough. It was very challenging, but you try to keep uh, on a positive mindset. You try to keep uh, growing. You learn a lot. You, you read a lot. You try to broaden your horizon. But at the end of the day, nothing can really replace the pitch. So it was tough. I can imagine, but you say obviously you, you've been busy reading. What have you been reading? One of the questions I had lined up for later, what have you been reading? Uh, I'm huge on management right now and the mental aspect uh, of the game. So I've been reading a couple of game, a uh, couple of books on uh, management. I actually read a book on Pochettino uh, and uh, I, I did a couple of uh, readings on, on just PNL. So uh, just learning and growing about uh, how do you manage different humans today because football is all about management right now and uh, how to manage and, and, and grow as much as I can throughout a time where you normally I don't have this much time to read. So, oh, Well, you've used it well like everyone else, I'm sure. And we tried. <laughs> <laughs> right. In terms of your career, obviously you're in management, um, but where did it all begin for you, you know? Play-wise, as a child, where did it begin for you? Your passion for the game. I'm, I'm Portuguese Italian. Uh, my oh. my parents are immigrants in Canada, and uh, it came from Europe. It, it, you, when my parents moved to and met in Canada, you grow up with your actual Portuguese Italian culture, and you grow up watching World Cups. And uh, to be quite honest, in Canada, they only showed EPL games on weekends. And so those were the only, that was the only access to football I had back then. And uh, uh, you just, you, it, it's internal. You can't really explain it. You just, you know, you know, you love the game, you know, you're passionate about it. And uh, you grow up in a country that football is not exactly uh, 
culturally super popular other than as a leisure sport. So uh, it, it's tough because you see EPL, you you get informed in a Spanish league or the French league, and you you grow up and football is not exactly the main culture. So my parents were huge in terms of the game. My father more specifically, he, uh, he uh, played and, and coached. He coached me and uh, that type of passion is transmitted through blood and also through just pure passion of playing. How do you know, I have to be honest, I'm, I'm sure there are a number of people who are quite jealous that uh, you had that kind of input very early on. Two different cultures, very passionate about football, but you say it's something internal. How did you cope as a young person being in a country, <laughs> honestly, knowing that you have this love of football and everyone's just kind of lethargic and, it, oh, it's just leisure. And you're like, no, it's not. How did you cope? Well, actually, Canada has a lot of immigrants, right? Like, especially when I grew up, there was a lot of Italian, Portuguese. And uh, I, I come from Montreal, uh, where there's a huge Italian and Portuguese community. And during World Cup Euros and whatnot, we we go and we meet up in, in the Portuguese-Italian community and we watch games together. And you just feel home. You feel home and you feel like there's other people that are as passionate about their countries and the game and the, and football gives you shivers. And uh, so it, it was very easy to watch uh, when you're around people who love the game as much. And then to play was a little bit tougher because I grew up in a city that was more French Canadian and uh, there wasn't, it, it's not the same type of passion as, as in Europe. Um, in terms of the passion between Europe and, and Canada, uh, while you were playing, what, what kind of player were you? But also, did you have to play mixed football with the boys or did, was, was there a girls team that you could go to? Yeah, I played mixed uh, until eight years old and then afterwards we uh, played with girls right away, which I personally think is unfortunate. Uh, I would have much rathered and, and enjoyed and even as a coach now, I, I push my, my female athletes to play with boys as long as they can. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, if football is growing in Canada, it's, it, it, it could become something very, very big and important. And I think they're doing the best they can to, to make it become a sport of a high competition level. But you can't really compare Canada and Europe because Canada is as big as Europe altogether so uh when you grow up playing in the game you you feel the game a little bit differently than other players that are having fun while doing it it's a different vibe but uh i got hurt really early on and i had two big injuries at the age of 14 and then 15 and a half so i had to stop quite early and uh when you stop for that long i stopped for three years and you go back uh, it's not the same thing and people are just playing for leisure and I couldn't play for leisure. I wanted to compete and I wanted to grow and it was too important to play for leisure. So I started coaching that way and uh, great things happen for different reasons. And today when I look back on my injury, it was probably a very good thing that happened for me because uh, I'm still in the game and more passionate than ever. So. And when you say the injury, uh, not to dwell on it, but what was it, ACL or was it a break or anything like that? I broke nine bones in my ankle, including my growth plate. 
So uh, and twice, so I tried to come back really quickly and I did the classical player's mistake of coming back too quick, uh, which is why I'm so hard about it with my, my players now. Um, but uh, yeah, I came back too quick and I rebroke uh, the same nine cracks on my ankle and uh, the growth played as well, with, which could have stunted my growth and created a lot of issues with my knees and the hips and my back. So um, it, it, it was a hard thing at the moment at such an important age, uh, but it's made me uh, be very analytical and, and it grew my passion in a different way. And uh, today I, uh, I am living through my passion and I don't know if I would have been doing what I do today if, had I not broke my leg and realized what it's like to be away from the game forced, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, obviously you can reflect at that point and say, you know, good things happened out of something that was quite bad. But during that time, who did you lean on? Or who, who, who kind of supported you emotionally and, and in terms of the advice of what next? It has to be very difficult to, to realize you're not going to play anymore. Yeah, I, I don't think, uh, unfortunately in Canada, we're not structured. Uh, we, we weren't structured at that point to, to really get support. Uh, and it was, it, football was very new back then. It's called soccer in Canada. So um, it, it was very new and there wasn't as much structure. I mean, uh, my parents pushed me to, to continue and saying, okay, it's, it's, it's okay. It's just soccer. It's just football. But uh, at the end of the day, my, my coach, uh, who was the technical director of the club, uh, saw me with my cast and my, my, my crutches. And he's like, you're not spending the whole summer home. You're going to coach your brother. And, uh, and I said, well, no, I don't, I was disgusted by football at that point And I didn't want to, like, I was angry. So, and he was like, no, you're not spending the whole summer home. He's like, you're coming to coach your brother. You have no choice. Uh, they, they're missing a coach. You got to do it. And, uh, I took my first team with crutches and a cast up to my knee. Uh, they were 12 year old boys that played intercity. So between amongst cities and it was my brother's team and probably one of the greatest experiences that I can recall on back in those times. Were you successful as a manager? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's intercity, but uh, I think what's most successful, especially at that level and at that age is knowing that the, the players are still passionate about the game at 12, 13, 14 years old. Uh, I mean, it's very easy to get lost in uh, wins and losses, but what's most important, especially in Canada, where there's not a lot of opportunities to play professional football, is uh, to know how many players still play the game or still in love with the game that are still uh, involved. And, and when I look back on, on the kids that I coached back then, which are actually men now, <laughs> but uh, they, they all still play for fun and, and they're all still passionate about the game and two of them actually work in football. So um I, I don't know if i was successful but i we definitely had something special together that's good i mean it, you know you start very early on and i've spoken to a, a number of other managers who have kind of begun their coaching career at 15 16 and it seems to be quite an important age really when the realization kicks in and we're not going to make it so i'll change and, and go in another direction you were fortunate to have someone who kind of basically said, Yo, no, you're going to do this. You're not going to yeah. wallow in your own self-pity. You're going to 
use the skills that you have because otherwise they wouldn't have asked you and they're going to ask you to, to, to pass them on. Um, how, how important was that, that conversation in terms of where you are now that you know, you're not going to sit back? I look back and the club itself is my hometown club. I actually grew there, uh, grew up there. And uh, I started as a junior coach, you know, just working for free volunteer coach with boys and quickly moved up every year and worked really hard. And uh, they permitted me to grow. It's my hometown. I, I go back every year. Well, unfortunately not because of COVID, but um there, there's moments in your life where you look back and if I'm here in France today, it's because I've had uh, great opportunities and it's because I've met some pretty cool people along the way. Yeah, you know, um, looking at your resume, it's very impressive, you know, really, in terms of your coaching career. Uh, so where does it begin for you in terms of your coaching? The, the, um, the, real, the real step into it where you're getting some recognition to, in, in terms of what, what you're doing right now. I wouldn't say recognition. I would say more where you feel, where I knew this was what I had to do and I had to go to the highest level possible. Mm -hmm. It's going to be quite ironic, but it, it, I was working, I've been working in the game for uh, full time for 14 years now. I started at 18 years old uh, um, working full time in the game. And the moment where I knew I needed to go abroad and really push for an international career or push to grow the game. And I, when I became limit obsessed with it uh, would be when I went to my FIFA workshops during the World Cup in 2015 in Canada. And I actually met a, a fellow English woman in uh, those workshops, Hope Powell. Wow. And uh, she was, she gave, I was at a, a cross point at that point in my life where I had finished university and I was supposed to uh, go into teaching and, Ooh, uh, and, and she, we had a conversation one night in uh, the hotel, I think it was Edmonton. And she's like, you really ought to do your UEFA A license. And I was like, what do you mean? Like I'm, <laughs> I live in Canada. How is that possible? And she's like, no, Jess, she's like, there's, FIFA uh, scholarships that are available. I'll write you a letter. And Hope Powell is one of the main reasons why I'm here today uh, because she gave me the tap on the back that I needed uh, at that point to say, it's okay, I can do this full time. It's okay, I can go further than Canada and, and I can go in Europe and live my, my, my passion, live of my passion. And uh, prior to that, I was already working full time, but she was... Uh, she deserves a lot of recognition for how she, her, her style of teaching during that course and her, her approach towards me, which uh, really helped me. Yeah. yeah. You, you say you were working full time. Where were you working at that point? Uh, I was working at the Quebec Soccer Federation full time at that point. So I was, uh, I got the opportunity to go on the workshop through the FSQ, so the Quebec Soccer Federation. I worked there three years full time, five years in total. And prior to that, I was at the club Soccer Longueuil, which is my city, um, which is one of the pretty big clubs in, in Quebec. Uh, and from that workshop, I uh, worked at, uh, 
the CSA afterwards. I worked with Canadian Soccer Association, so I got to have other opportunities because I got my coaching license and whatnot. And while you were doing your coaching license at that point, did you have any specific responsibilities or is it just a, yep. yeah, what, yeah, what, was, what, what uh, I, was, I was working at the National Training Center uh, at the FSQ while doing my license and I was doing, I was an assistant on the under 20s Canadian national team. So I, I was like, it, it's con contract based and uh, I worked with Bev Priestman actually as well. Uh, which was also another eye-opening to, to see females in the game that are about your age, uh, growing and working in the game full-time, getting opportunities. Uh, it's great, and it's definitely helped me quite a bit to uh, push through. Okay, and obviously, so you meant the works with Bev. How was it, you know, what was it like working with her? Did you kind of share the same kind of uh, style in terms of management and coaching ideals? Did you yeah, share... Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, we're like, I was an assistant, so I, I came on a contract base, but uh, Bev uh, and Joey Lombardi uh, did a uh, huge work in, in Canada to, to reform the, the system a little bit. And uh, uh, we had a lot of similarity, similarities in the way we liked the game and like to see the game played. Uh, and she's, she's English, you know, she, she, she likes when it goes quick and whatnot. No, I, I honestly enjoyed my time working with the CSA and, and worked my enjoyed my time working with the different coaches that were there and uh, I have a, a lot of lasting relationships through uh, my experiences there. So there's a couple of things that you pick and choose things that you like from every environment and you grow from it, right? Yeah, of course. Um, obviously, you get onto FIFA doing your uh, coaching. Did you have to apply, apart from the supporting letter from Hope, did you have to fill out a specific application and, 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 and what was the process? And if you can remember the interview, could you share what that was like? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I got to, I had to apply. So I applied through the French Football Federation. So French is my second language. Uh, and uh, I applied uh through fifa with their support i did two fifa workshops in canada and then afterwards i had their support with hope writing letter and um i got interviewed by emmanuel vandenberg who's a man who's in charge of coaching education in france fantastic teacher fantastic mentor uh and uh and basically he just interviewed me, listened to a little bit about my experience and saw I was passionate and very serious because when you get into high level coaching, you have to be very serious and willing to, to do the work on the side because it's a lot of work on top of your full-time job. Uh, so just you just spent a, a lot of time learning about uh, how passionate someone is and willing to put invest the time necessary to grow. Mm. And when you say you have to, to, to put in the time, what, is, is there an example you could share? And so what did you, did you have to do like a four hour presentation or something or was it? I mean, getting my FIFA, my, my UEFA certification was probably the most interesting, exhausting, challenging thing I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, you had a football assessment, which was filmed and you have like, four people watching and they're going to tell you if it's good or not. And uh, from there, and you get a team that uh, you don't know, right? So it's not like you, you're accustomed to coaching the players. You don't know their names either. 
Um, from there, you do, you have, I had three presentations of one of 40 minutes, one of 25, and another one of 25. The 25 minutes ones are always the hardest because you have to be very concise and precise uh, mm -hmm. about what you're saying. And uh, after that, you get, there's a jury and you get questioned for about 20 to 25 minutes on your presentation. Uh, you had a huge, like huge binder that you had to uh, built and um, make sure that uh, it had all your sessions over a year, your reflections and whatnot. So it, it's a huge process, uh, but it's a good one because you get to grow quite a bit and reflect quite a bit on your coaching. And, and from that period, I mean, do you use all of the methodology that you had to study at that point? Do you, did, were there some points that you thought that's not relevant or do you use all of them in your your current role now i think everything you do in life will serve its purpose at one point in time uh it, it, education is about having the information and learning how to use the tool uh and you get into the field and then you learn to use different tools at different moments and then sometimes you're like oh shouldn't have used that tool at that moment uh, and I would say from my education in university where I've done four years in, in physical health and education and all the way up to all my different coaching degrees, whether they be in Canada uh, or in France, I've taken and chosen certain things that I use every day. And I am who I am today because of my past and, and everything I've learned from my past. So you can learn something from everybody. Yeah, well, as you say, you can learn something from everybody. Let's talk to you about um, uh, other leagues and other managers that you might pay attention to. I know you're based in, in France. Do you keep yeah. an eye on, on the football in the UK? And if you do, uh, who do you keep an eye on uh, players-wise, team-wise and manager-wise? Well, I'm not limiting this question. It's, it's, <laughs> it's there. Uh, no, listen, I... I I know you're a Manchester United fan. Oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> but uh, I follow Man City quite a bit, Liverpool. I mean, uh, Liverpool yesterday. Oh, God. Liverpool. Oh, God. If all the days to speak to you, then. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm an honest person. So, no, I, listen, I, I follow the EPL quite a bit. Um, obviously, the biggest clubs are, are there. And uh, I've been following quite a bit. It, it's hard during the season because uh, you're as a manager you're very very busy and it's like it's so hard to you have you're so uh, compulsed with everything you got to do on a, on a daily basis and I'm not just the coach I'm and not that it's just uh, it's just I'm, I, I have two different tasks so I have to make sure I manage my time accordingly and make sure I'm thinking of the structure as well as coaching so it limits my my capacity to watch and follow as much as I would like uh, but uh, I do follow the EPL. I follow the English Women's League as well. Um, yeah. I follow the Spanish League because I know that that's a league that's growing quite a bit right now. Um, so I'm, I'm following. I know Sam Kerr just got into the English Women's League. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea grows uh, throughout the, the next year, right? So yeah. well, I, I think it's quite interesting what England's doing with their Women's League. When you say interesting, and you know, interesting in a positive way, or is it just that there's areas for development, do you believe? No, I think uh, it's very interesting in a positive way. I mean, you have all these uh, professional male clubs that are making women's football happen, uh, and they're signing 
quality players. We have a lot of French players in here in, in France that are considering moving to, to England. And the French are not exactly excited about learning English, but uh, they're willing to do it now because the English league has become very, very interesting. So uh, it's competitive. Uh, it's fueled by good players. There's good coaches. There's uh, MIAs that I've been following quite a bit on, on Twitter. So uh, no, there's, there's something you can learn and grow all the time. And the women's game is very new right now. And, uh, and there is areas of growth everywhere. Absolutely yeah. everywhere. And it, no one has the science, the exact science uh, uh, that is necessary. But I'm, I'm confident that the minute that a league succeeds at, at selling the women's game to its public, uh, it's something that we'll be able to replicate all, elsewhere. Yeah, it's, it's, it is exciting to watch, I have to say. Um, you mentioned Emma Hayes. I mean, if you were to say that you were kind of or similar to a particular manager, would you say that you were similar to her or is she a manager that you look at and think, like, I like the way she goes about her business? Is it the tactics? I, I can't, I can't uh, say that honestly because I don't know enough. Uh, I, I follow Emma Hayes because I see that she's a successful English coach, uh, that she's made it to, to a certain level of coaching as well and, and uh, at a, a very good club. But uh, I, I read a lot because there's a lot more available on the men's game. Uh, so I, I read a lot about different styles of coaching and, and uh, Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Pochettino. There, there's a bunch of coaches out there that are doing phenomenal things. And uh, you have to, I think the art of coaching is learning about as many things as you can and making it your own and being yourself. So I don't want to replicate anybody. I want to be myself and I want to have my own style and my own way of managing. And that's why I come from North America, but I'm in Europe so I can bring a little taste of North America in Europe. Uh, but I'm, I, you can't go into a place and be close-minded about learning about what's made them successful either. So, uh, no, I, I don't think I replicate anybody. I want to be able to do what's necessary to have success for my team and my players. Right, you know, it's, it's, it's very open-minded, but also reflective. Because you, you, you sense that there is, there are, there are skills out there that you can tap into, but you don't necessarily have to be the same as that person. You talk about your own style and your own manager. What, what kind of manager would you say that you are then and what kind of style would you like your team to play football how do you describe that? i'm a i'm a players coach so my players generally want to play for me they like to play for me uh i'm very intense on the field very light off the field uh off the field i'm very personable and try to be human and, and get to know my players as much as i can and uh, my girls know that I'll do anything I can to help them succeed as young women and, and uh, footballers. So I think I try to keep an open mind with women's football because, you know, these women are not going to play football for the rest of their lives and they won't make enough to, to feed their families for the rest of their lives either. So you need to keep an open mind and support them in their growth as young women. Um, and then on the other note, as a coach on the field, I'm someone who likes the ball. I like to move the ball quite a bit quickly. Uh, I'm very, I'm a big tactical person. I love tactics. Uh, so I like analyzing my opponents, analyzing my team, uh, 
making sure my team can play its style freely, but being aware of the opposition. Uh, and then I'm pretty tough on defensive transition. So it's one of, it's a biggie for me. It's uh, within, I'll take that one out of Guardiola's book and the, the six seconds that we lose the ball, you better be hunting the ball down because uh, otherwise Jess will be hunting you down <laughs> to practice. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, no, I'm pretty tough on defensive transition, but um, I mean, everything's about growth and, and uh, about getting yourself better every day. So I uh, try to make sure that my players are in a positive mindset and come to the field with a smile on their face, excited to learn, grow, play, have success. Uh, so yeah, I like a, a collective approach to the game. Good. I'm not, well, apart from when you're chasing them, which sounds quite scary, things don't go well. Um, <laughs> obviously, you know, with most teams, there's going to have they're going to have good moments, bad moments. When it's a bad result or a bad moment or something in the game, do you do you go back with the players and analyze the game as a group? Do you do it in groups? Do you do it one on one? How do you? go back and reflect uh, on that. Yeah, I think it's important. Kumpi Bryan said it, right? Yeah. He said to Sabrina and Asko, she, you, you need to learn from every opportunity. And uh, when you lose, it's another opportunity to learn. And uh, I take that from maybe being a national uh, training center coach where you're more in development than you are in competition. Uh, but I bring that approach to even competitive team because every moment is a learning moment and we do video analysis once a week with the players from a collective perspective and then afterwards I have myself and the assistant my assistant coach who will have split the team a little bit in half and uh, we support the players as best as we can on on video because video is huge nowadays and it's so important and uh, so I, I think uh, even when you lose it depends what what's needed right that like I said there's no exact science to coaching for me anyways uh, it depends what's needed at that moment, what's happening. There's things that are, are regular and process. So we're going to speak about the game every Tuesday after the game. We're going to give you 25 hours to reflect on it. Uh, we're going to reflect on it and we're going to be as uh, objective as possible. And then afterwards you can discuss it. You can have small groups. It depends what's needed at what time. And that's kind of the art of coaching in a competi competition level and not a development state. Is that development, you're kind of doing the same thing all the time to make sure that they're developing and growing. And when you're in a competitive state, it's what is best at that moment and what does the team or the player need at that moment to perform better the next week. Right, so let me get this clear. You, you give them 25 hours to reflect on a, a performance. Always. Uh, and then, and, and I, I might have misheard this, if they wish to talk about it in small groups, is that kind of designed by you or is that down to the players? So there's parts of it that are designed by us where uh, like I have a very meticulous game, game plan or, or very meticulous approach to my uh, way about going things. Uh, so I, I, I ensure that players are speaking about it for at least two days and, and looking at clips and uh, that it will be guided by us or uh, brought about or made available to them. So just having video available to them. We have a, uh, a system at MESS where we put our, all our games in, a, in kind of a, 
uh, logiciel. <laughs> Sorry. Of uh, course, but, of course. Website. A oh, website. yes. <laughs> so, uh, and everything goes in there, and players could then, from there, uh, look at their game, analyze their game, whatnot, and we'll set up some learning tables, right, growth tables, where uh, players could come in and discuss. Coaches are available if you want to discuss, and um, other players are available as well. But it's at times it's optional, at times it's important. I like the way you say important instead of compulsory. I like that. Well, it's, uh, I mean, I, I come from an idea where if you don't want to do something, you're not going to do it right. And uh, so I use the word obligatory very slimly because one, the players know it's obligatory. And two, uh, if you don't want to learn, then I don't know if we should be doing business together. If you don't want to win or be better, then... I don't know if we're meant to be together in this journey. So, uh, and a coach analyzes things quite quickly at this at the get-go. The, the other challenge about club coaching is, coaching in club, sorry, is that you do your recruitment, you get 26 players, and you're going to have those 26 players for the year, so you can't make a mistake. So you, you, need, you need to really analyze your players and put a culture in the group and the team that – makes players want to be there, want to learn, want to grow. It has to come from them because if it comes from them, it's going to be done even better than we would want it to be done. So you basically, the, the, the essence of success is down to the personnel that you recruit, but also that the, the, the key personnel, they must embody the drive and the passion that you have as a manager. Yeah, I mean, my values, my first value is work ethic. And if we don't, see eye to eye on work ethic, we're probably not going to have a, an enjoyable experience together. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I've learned to work hard for everything that I have and uh, work countless, countless hours. The last thing you want are players that take things for granted. So, um, you have to be passionate about what you do. We're, we're so lucky we get to live through football. It's, it's a pure joy and, and chance and, uh, we need to seize the moment, seize the day, and and, and get better every day. Do you know, I, I can see, going back to the beginning of our conversation, when you talked about your injury, and just playing with the boys, and wanting to win, and everyone was like, well, it's just leisure. You were destined, really, to go into coaching, weren't you? Um, I... I, I don't know. I, this is what I need to do. It's, uh, I can't explain it. I, I know I need to be here right now. I know I, know I need to be working in football. And uh, this is what I know best and what I love most. So uh, it's, it's honestly, the, I don't want to be anywhere else right now. Well, do you know, <laughs> you, you are in a very fortunate position. I'm not saying just because of the job, but I think from my humble position in terms of, of, of a viewer and watcher of football, uh, the game is definitely growing. The interest is definitely there. And um, we're keen to see more and more of the women's game grow. Um, talking about results, and this is something that some managers probably dislike. If you have a bad result, have you gone back over in your mind and thought, I should have changed something? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm my biggest critic. I'm my biggest critic. 
but uh, I mean, you, you can't change the past. You can never change the past. You can only learn from it and grow from it. So um, I, I'll analyze a game probably two, three times after it's been played. Uh, and, and then afterwards try to take lessons from it through video, through my own coaching, through my own, uh, decisions that I've made. But, um, I think what's, what's important is that losses are, are learning moments and there are some that are harder than others and you need to let the emotions drop. Uh, and then there's other moments where you need to analyze things and ask yourself the right questions. I, I see the coach as part of the team and, and a member of the team um, or manager, as you guys say in England. And uh, uh, for me, we're all, we all lost and we all win. And uh, the players are not more to blame than I am. So uh, I think we all, we all need to learn something from the, the loss. Mm. I, it's a very difficult question always to, to answer because you know some some may say no but this pain is something you can never be rid of because it's it's always there in the back of your mind on the flip side um the results that have been really good uh mm -hmm. can you can you recall a result where you just thought everything went right from tactics performance results you know, is there something that's, that comes to mind? Yeah, Canada games. Uh, we won gold. It was uh, from everything within the team uh, to the preparation, to the coaching, to uh, the players that I selected. Uh, it was a fantastic experience. Uh, the players are all young women right now that are continuously in the game and I really hope that they strive for their dreams and uh, it was a during that tournament we didn't lose a game and we played beautiful football beautiful football and uh, we beat Ontario which was an arch rival and 1-0 uh, win I still remember the goal like yesterday and um, captain scored the winning goal and uh, one of our best elements of that that whole competition was the cohesion of the team and the that the the girls really bought into the playing style and bought into the competition and were really composed i would say we were very composed uh going into that tournament and we took one one game at a time one game at a time well um, you say it feels like yesterday you say which is good, good yeah no like if i from a football career, from a coaching perspective, it's definitely the uh, the one of the best memories I have back in uh, Canada. That's good. Now, in terms of build up to the games, um, do you ever get nervous uh, before a big game or any game? Um, how do you cope with your nerves? How do you cope with the the nerves of the players? And I know this is three questions. Do you have a pre-match ritual? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I need to be alone before the games, personally. Like, um, my, myself, before I go in and give a speech, the speech is pretty important for me. So uh, I need to take a five, ten minutes alone without staff, without anybody to prepare myself, because a coach is performing just like a player. Um, 
So I knew those five, 10 minutes that I actually started at Canada Games where I took five, 10 minutes away from everybody and everything. And uh, before I went in and did the speech. Uh, but uh, no, I, I mean, there, there's a lot of preparation that goes into the games and uh, there's a lot of analysis of the opposition, uh, analysis of your own team. Uh, every game is different and every game needs to be approached differently. Um, but you try to focus on the controllables and you try to focus on what, uh, what your team needs at that moment to, to perform at its best, right? Uh, but in terms of my nerves, uh, what's funny is that the biggest games of my career that I coached, I probably wasn't nervous at all. It was, it was very awkward. The final of Canada Games, maybe because at the semi-final I was very nervous and we were playing Nova Scotia and, and uh, I was very, very nervous for that game because I knew if we played well and we did well, then we'd be in the final and it would, the rest history would take its course. But uh, the semifinal was the game I was most nervous about. And since then, in Europe anyways, I haven't been too nervous prior to games. It's more excitement, uh, more, you're, you're more in an analysis perspective and you just uh, prepare yourself as best as you can uh, to, to make sure players are in the best situation possible. Um, it, it's, it's not nerves, it's excitement. It's excitement, it's uh, joy, it's, uh, it's game day. It's game day, it's the best day. <laughs> okay, best, the best day. You know, yeah. um, this is a question just literally sprung into my mind. Uh, do you prefer to play on artificial grass or grass? Grass. It's, it's just the best, yeah. isn't it? It's, the, and coming from Canada where the pitches are artificial and, or if it's grass, it's not taken care of. I mean, when I came to Europe and, and saw these beautiful pitches and the smell of freshly cut grass or uh, the mist when you come in and the pitch hasn't been touched, uh, you know, they grass. And also for, from a football perspective and even for your players from injury prevention and whatnot, uh, grass is 10 times better, a million times better. Mm. But uh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's everything you dream of and then there's reality and you, you, you can do with both, but uh, if I had a preference, grass uh, grass gives you the shivers. <laughs> gives you the shivers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of where you are now, um, what's your plan going forward with the team? Where do you see FC Mets? Well, we, I mean, I just came in in December. We were last placed in December with one point. Um, team was in a very very difficult place and hadn't won a game and whatnot and COVID came about and didn't allow us to finish our journey together uh, and we were automatically relegated. Uh, I'm not sure what happened in England but in France everyone was relegated or uh, or went up so basically we were automatically relegated. We're kind of restructuring the, the club right now. Mm. Uh, uh, we've done a pretty heavy recruitment that uh, we had to bring in some new bodies and clean up a little bit of, of the past. And uh, I want to bring in a fresh start, a fresh philosophy and uh, a lot of excitement on the field and, and one that we're going to try to be part of this club as much as we can because FCMS has a lot of history and a lot of fans. 
Um, and there's a large community here that loves football and there's huge, huge opportunity for the women's game to grow in this club. Uh, it's just about getting the right people in the right places and, and performing on the pitch and uh, sharing that passion with everybody and, and the fans. So, yeah, we're, we're looking to, to try to be as competitive as possible this year, uh, but we're going to take everything one day at a time. Mm, that's good. The, the football club in itself really has a, a job on its hands in terms of the education of, of the fan base around yep. the club. Um, and I'm not just saying that about FC Mets. I think football generally has a very big job in terms of educating fans across the world, uh, considering the current climate that we're in. Um, yeah. How important is the links between the club and the community going to be in terms of gaining the success that you want for for the FC Mets? Huge, huge. Uh, we need to be involved in our community. We need to be involved in the clubs around us. Uh, we need to support uh, what's happening around us and, and uh, create links with players and, and uh, other coaches and other clubs so we can make sure that we have success because uh, you can't sell a product you don't see. So you, we absolutely need to be visible to make people come to the stadium and and enjoy their experience with us. That's great. Um, I'm going to ask you one final question, um, even though I've got so many more. But I'm just I'm going to we're going to come back again because I think we need to have another conversation. <laughs> if you could go back to any point in your career, uh, where would you go back to? And would you change anything? Um, if I can go back to any point, um, I I don't think I'd go back. Uh, I don't I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. I want to go forward, and uh, I am who I am today. And I've done great things. Like I've done, I've made many mistakes. I'm only human. Uh, uh, and I've learned and grown from every experience that I've done and uh, I, I'm all about looking at the next day and how to be better the next day and I don't think there's a point in going back because that would mean changing who I am now and I don't want to change who I am now. I want to just keep growing and keep learning and um, taking one, one day at a time. That's brilliant. I want to say thank you very much for sharing your time with me and your journey into football and your, your coaching journey as well. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for your time and obviously your interest in the women's game and, and France as well. Oh, no. Uh, I, need, I need lessons. No, no, no. It's, it, you, you can learn very easily. Trust okay. me. Okay. Well, we'll bear that <laughs> but no, Thank you. We need more people in the game uh, communicating about women's football. Well, thank you very much. Well, I'm going to say thank you to everyone who's been listening and please ensure that you listen on and like, share and subscribe. Uh, this is an interview with Jessica Silva. I'm Rodney Cyrus and see you very soon. Bye for now.